1: journalist, or writer focused on Palestine, contribute to the foremost journal on the past, present, and future of Jerusalem. The Jerusalem Quarterly is soliciting articles for peer review, essays, and letters from Jerusalem. Send your work to jq at palestine-studies.org or see palestine-studies.org forward slash journals for more info. Welcome to Jerusalem Unplugged, the podcast dedicated to Jerusalem, its history, and its people. I'm your host, Roberto Mazza, and today it's with great pleasure that my guest is the Dakaka Award winner for 2023 of the Jerusalem Quarterly, Fadi Rahet. Fadi will publish with the Jerusalem Quarterly, and he won the award with an article, Sharing the Holy Land, Islamic Pilgrimage to Christian Holy Sites in Jerusalem during the late medieval and early modern periods. First of all, congratulations and welcome. Thank you, Roberto. I want to ask, uh, you know, just a very basic question just to kick off for those that may not know you. If you can tell us something about yourself and how you came to work on late medieval Jerusalem.
0: Sure. Um, Basically, I began my academic journey in Islamic history very early on by doing a a BA at McGill University. I I focused uh, on studying modern history, basically more modern European and Middle Eastern history. And after finishing my degree at McGill, I worked for a few years, but then the academic history itch started to gnaw at me again especially with the events that were occurring in the Middle East, uh, for example, after the American invasion of Iraq, all the tensions in Syria uh, and Accra and the Arab Spring. So I decided to basically go back to the academe, uh, to the academe and uh, do my MA and PhD at the University of Toronto. Now, although my BA was in modern history, I've decided to focus on the medieval world because I felt that. In order to understand the modern events of the Middle East, whether it's you know, Sunni-Shia tensions, Arab-Israeli conflict, uh, regional and international uh, foreign policy and crises, I really felt that an understanding of the medieval Islamic world is necessary. And in fact, when I, te- when I teach my students uh, the history of the Crusades, I teach a course on the Crusades and the Islamic perspectives on the Crusades, I always tell them that the Middle East is one of the very few regions in the world that in order to understand what is happening today, there's absolutely no way to understand it fully without comprehending the medieval period. And let me tell you that going back to doing my studies on the medieval Islamic history did not disappoint because true to my belief, um, the events in the medieval world really uh, help us understand and illuminate the modern period, including the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict and today's uh, political and uh, uh, demographic tensions within the city of Jerusalem. While studying my MA and PhD, I decided to focus on the crusading period um, because I had an interest from a young age on the crusades. I used to watch uh, the movie al Nasr Salahuddin by Yusuf Shaheen and it was about uh, Richard and Sullivan. So I had a fascination of that period. And from there, I came to study medieval Islamic Jerusalem and to focus specifically on the Fadal al-Quds, which are Islamic pilgrimage guides on on Jerusalem during the medieval period.
1: I'm very curious about uh, your studies on the Crusades, because if I think about uh, the regular Western, particularly European, Uh, curriculum or, you know, the Crusades are mostly seen through the eyes of uh, European history. So this movement that left Europe a different period of time and uh, eventually made it into the Middle East. And, you know, there's some sense of criticism about the massacres that were committed, but essentially this is the main framework through which the the, the Crusades uh, were seen. And I was wondering if you had a chance to study and look at the crusades from a different
0: perspective well basically uh, in my study of the age of the crusades i focused on the islamic responses to the crusades much more than focusing on the medieval european uh, side of the epic in fact the age of the Crusades is quite a dense and complex field that uh, as stephen Humphreys once said that in order to master the age of the crusade you'll have to learn five to six languages and consult so many different kind of literary and uh, archaeological and documentary evidence. But the Crusades, when we listen to the massacres, when we read about the massacres of Muslims uh, during the first crusade, that is when uh, the Franks conquered Jerusalem. the the Chronicles speak about the massacres of tens of thousands of Muslims and, and Jews, and that there were the expulsion of Muslims and Jews from the city. I mean, the numbers sometimes uh, might be a bit uh, deceptive because chroniclers writing, uh, they're writing for their own audiences, so they might exaggerate the numbers. And similarly, that is not only from the Muslim side, but also from the Frankish crusader side. They would exaggerate their victories and exaggerate their um, their the, the killings that they've done or the battles, the events on the battles. So when we read the chronicles of the crusades and the primary source of the crusades, we have to look at it in a bit of a more objective and distant view and to understand the context in which those chroniclers wrote they were religious figures some of them were, were bureaucratic figures so uh, reading those sources and understanding whether it's massacres battles events treachery within the islamic camp or within the frankish camp we have to look at look at these events with a grain of salt and be a bit more aware of why is the chronicler writing that, or to whom is this chronicler uh, uh, writing and addressing. So it's a bit more complex uh, a topic and would require a bit more of analysis and the explication here. So let me move to uh,
1: the fact that you won the Dakak Award of the Jerusalem Quarterly with an article discussing Islamic pilgrimage to Christian holy sites in Jerusalem during the late medieval and early modern periods. So, Can you start telling us how Jerusalem would have looked like in the late medieval era? Who are the people living there? How would have the city look like in terms of your urban structures? And if there's any legacy that can still
0: be seen today of that period? Well, we have to, when we think of medieval uh, Jerusalem, we'll have to think of two periods. There's the medieval Islamic period before the age of the Crusades and the medieval and the later medieval Islamic period, which is what I wrote uh, my article and my dissertation on, which is the Mamluk period. That is after the vanquish of the Crusader states in the Middle East, in the the Islamic world. So I will speak about the the Mamluk period first, because I will address the earlier Islamic period uh, later. Uh, After the expulsion of the Crusader states in the Islamic world around the middle of the 13th century, Jerusalem was quite ravaged. For example, the walls of Jerusalem at that time were destroyed. They were destroyed during the uh, 13th century, the early 13th century. So the Mamluks who took over reign of of Egypt and Palestine and Syria, and they were the ones who defeated uh, fully the, the Franks, and they also defeated the Mongols uh, at that time, they began to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. They built, they rebuilt it both architecturally, urbanly, and as well ideologically. In what way? They started to really uh, put their efforts to re-emphasizing the Islamic character of Jerusalem during the Mamluk period. For example, a lot of uh, Mamluk upper echelons like emirs and sultans visited Jerusalem and a lot of emirs also settled there. They retired there uh, and and spent the rest of their lives there. So those upper echelons invested uh, financial endowments in the city to build all kinds of madrasas, Islamic schools, to build lodges for pilgrims, to build uh, Sufi uh, worship houses like ribats, And So Jerusalem became a bustling place for pilgrims. Pilgrims both that are Muslim coming from across the central Islamic lands and as well as from Europe. For example, Jonathan Sumption reminds us that uh, beginning with the 11th century uh, all the way through the age of the Crusades and after, uh, Jerusalem entered uh, what we call the Great Age of Pilgrimage for European Christians. So the city was bustling with both Muslim pilgrims visiting the city and Christian pilgrims at the same time. One important uh, aspect of the city's demographics is that every year, hundreds if not thousands of Muslim pilgrims that are heading to the Hajj uh, in Mecca would actually stop in Jerusalem to perform what we call the ihram, the, the purification ritual that all pilgrims to, the, uh, to Mecca should perform before beginning the hajj so after saladin's uh, conquest of jerusalem for example you read in the chronicles that thousands of muslims came uh, every year to begin their journey to mecca from jerusalem so you have the city bustling with pilgrims muslims and christians you also see a lot of construction you see a lot of mamluk religious building around the haram in fact the old city of Jerusalem today, as modern scholars argue, is basically a Mamluk city because the Mamluks invested so much money and efforts and energies to build all kinds of institutions around the Haram and even deep within the the city proper of Jerusalem. So the city grew in population. Uh, religiously and ideologically, Islam uh, uh, has become... The primary faith once again after the extirpation of the franks from the city and this is reflected in what i'm studying on what i'm focusing on it's reflected in the significant proliferation of writings on jerusalem in the in the form of medieval islamic pilgrimage guides the fada al-quds which is which translates loosely as the merits of Jerusalem. so we see uh, tens of Tens of Fadal al Quds pilgrimage guides being written by leading Islamic scholars at the time to both extol, sanctify, and encourage and attract Muslims to come and visit Jerusalem. So this is also coupled with another parallel, which is at the same time writings by European Christian pilgrims visiting Jerusalem also proliferated, and uh, we see an exponential growth in writings on Jerusalem from European visitors as well. We will talk about the
1: merits of Jerusalem later, but I really want to talk about the question of the Islamic pilgrimage to Christian holy sites.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about this practice? Uh, Islamic pilgrimage to Christian holy sites or just uh, holy Yes, in
1: to Christian holy sites. And perhaps you can start uh, discussing, you know, islamic pilgrimage to the various sites in jerusalem but specifically to christian holy
0: sites sure well that was the interesting aspect about me studying and researching the al quds because in today's world we believe there's this strict division between muslims and christians muslims visiting muslim holy sites christians vis- visiting christian holy sites in fact when i started researching the al quds we begin to see that there is an itinerary for Muslims uh, to go around the city and perform pilgrimage and worship at a circuit of holy sites that include Christian holy sites. For example, the Fadal Quds guides uh, encourage Muslims to visit uh, certain important Christian holy sites, uh, such as the Mount of Olives, the Church of the Sepulcher of Mary there, the church of the ascension and interestingly enough the church of the holy sepulcher so within the fadal quds literature you see that some of those uh, churches are actually sanctified and connected with christian figures that are also uh, extolled and uh, and uh, basically uh, lauded in the islamic tradition such as jesus mary uh, john the baptist etc And even the network of Christian holy sites extends to Bethlehem and Nazareth. So you begin to see in the Fadal Quds that Christian holy sites are sanctified and included within the circuit of pilgrimage that Muslims should perform around the city. Now, why do I refer to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre as interestingly, it is also there? It's because, as we know, within the Islamic uh, theology, um, there is this, you know, debate or disagreement on the crucifixion of Jesus. So, within the Islamic tradition, uh, it's believed that Jesus was not crucified, but he actually passed away naturally. So, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the spot where uh, Jesus was crucified and laid down, is actually uh, not looked at favorably in the fadail al al-Quds so it is basically forbidden for muslims to visit the church there however the Fadail quds and the chroniclers as well they refer to the fact that muslims had been visiting the church of the holy sepulcher for centuries even though uh, strict islamic uh, law under the Hanbalis, the most conservative say that this uh, holy sat should not be worshipped or should not be visited by muslims less conservative uh, Sunnis uh, from the Shafi Madhab began to incorporate uh, this debate and discussion about should Muslims visit holy sites, including the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? And they said, well, yes, you could visit churches uh, if you satisfy the following conditions. If you get the permission of the priest or the monk uh, uh, in that church, if there was no prayer service or mass service occurring in, in the church at the time. So we began to see an increased awareness by scholars writing the Fadal Quds that Muslims are, in fact, visiting Christian holy sites, including the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And they began to address it with using Islamic law. And you see a bifurcation of uh, Islamic rules on, on this matter. The more conservative Hanbali scholars would say, no, you're not allowed to visit churches, and especially the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, but you see Shafe scholars saying, well, you could visit them under certain conditions. So this debate that I found in the Falal Quds has never been uh, addressed before. In fact, this whole issue of Muslims visiting holy sites has not been uh, addressed extensively uh, in research on the Mamluk period. And those were the findings that I've included in the in my article. And in fact, this this uh, ritual of visiting Christian sites even extends to the Ottoman period as you can see from my article
1: you mentioned several times the so-called merits of jerusalem can you tell us something more about this idea how did the uh, concept of the merits of jerusalem emerge how it developed and also I'm curious about the contemporary if the merits of Jerusalem are still a a sort of a valid idea and concept and they're still understood
0: as they were originally conceived. That's an excellent question. Uh, You've actually hit the nail on its head in the sense of asking how did the Fadal Quds emerge and how did they develop, how did they come about and how they form? part of the Islamic discourse today on Jerusalem and Islamic character. Well, what are the Fadal Quds? First of all, the Fadal Quds uh, translates literally to the merits of Jerusalem or the religious excellences of Jerusalem. They are basically a collection. Uh, they are texts and they within the text, it's a collection of Quranic verses, Hadith traditions, sayings of the Prophet's companions and sayings and traditions from the first generation of Muslims on the sanctity of Jerusalem. So basically it is a collection of Islamic traditions that serve to sanctify, extol, and attract Muslims to visit Jerusalem. How did they emerge? Well, uh, First of all, uh, one of the most authentic uh, Muslim hadiths on the uh, the sayings of the Prophet addressed that Jerusalem, in addition to Mecca and Medina, should be visited by Muslims and Muslims should undertake a pilgrimage there. This is one of several other hadith traditions on Jerusalem and its status uh, and symbol in Islam. Now those hadiths obviously emerged during the first century of Islam, during the time of the Prophet, but also their circulation increased a lot during the Umayyad period, which is towards the end of the seventh century, right after the conquest of Jerusalem by Umar Ibn Khattab and uh, which who is the second caliph. So, the hadiths and the Quranic verses and the Quranic exegesis, the tafsir, on Quranic verses that relate to Jerusalem, all those traditions began to circulate extensively in Syria and Palestine during the Umayyad period. Because uh, if you understand early Islamic history, you know that after the death of the Prophet and after the reign of the four uh, rightly guided caliphs, the Umayyads set up the their rule and capital in Damascus. So there was a geographical shift of the center and gravity of politics within the Islamic world to Damascus and Bilad al sham greater Syria. So naturally, you would look to holy cities in that region and Jerusalem helped serve as a spiritual center for the Umayyads. Hence, the building of the Dome of the Rock and Al-Aqsa Mosque south of it by the Umayyad uh, caliphs, uh, especially uh, Abdel Malik. The Umayyad caliph al Malik, he built the Dome of the Rock and his son, and he apparently began building or thinking of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and his son uh, built and finished the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So in order to consolidate the rule and religious character of the Umayyads in Syria, Jerusalem helped serve that, and hence you see uh, Umayyad Khalif's help, support, sponsor uh, scholars who would continue to write those traditions and to circulate. Now, during the Abbasid period, which is about a century after, in the 8th and 9th century, you begin to see the emergence of the Sahih collection of Hadith, uh, such as the Sahih collection of Bukhari, Muslim, Al-Tirmidhi. And there you begin to also see the incorporation of all those traditions on Jerusalem in those collections. Then came the ninth century, and we have the first actual collection of all those traditions on Jerusalem emerge in the ninth century, uh, written by uh, a Jerusalemite Palestinian Muslim scholar called uh, Al Ramli. And he basically put together and collected all those traditions on the city in Islam and published the first, well, published, wrote uh, the first work called Fada'il uh, Bayt Al Maqdis. Now this book did not survive. However, we know about this book from later uh, Fadda al-Quds books that were composed especially in the 11th century. And the question is, why is it that more books were composed in the 11th century? Well, that has to do with a few things. Uh, One of them, which is the stability that the Fatimids brought to Jerusalem during the 11th century, because the The 10th and the beginning of the 11th century was quite dramatic for Jerusalem and Palestine. It's what uh, Moshe Gil refers to as the 60 Years' War, where you have the Fatimids, the Tulanids, the Karmatians, the Arab Bedouins invading Jerusalem and Palestine. So as you can imagine, there's a large, uh, there's a significant instability in the region. With the 11th century, you have the stabilization of Jerusalem by the Fatimids, and you begin to see the emergence of two major works on the Fadal Quds, one by Al-Wasiqi and the other one by uh, Ibn, al-Murajjah and, uh, Ibn al-Murajjah, and they're both uh, Jerusalemite scholars living in the 11th century. I argue in my thesis that um, the reason why you have those two major works on Fadal Quds collected and written in the 11th century is because this was also the great age of pilgrimage of European Christians. So, Muslims, I believe, at that time began to witness a significant increase in Christian pilgrimage to the city. And therefore, they became aware of, um, they wanted to become more aware of the Islamic character and the Islamic traditions on the city to consolidate the Islamic presence there. And therefore, that is one of my arguments, which is why the 11th century saw the uh, writing of those two major al Quds works. Now, the Fada'l Quts works take a significant turn during the age of the Crusades, after the First Crusade, especially during the reign of Nur ad-Din and the famous Salah ad-Din Saladin and the later Ayyubids, uh, the descendants of Salah ad-Din. Now, the Fada'l Quds took more of an ideological turn in the sense they became shorter compositions rather than those large collections, and they served specifically as an ideological weapon against the Frankish uh, co- conquest and control of Jerusalem. So they were basically uh, treatises sponsored by sultans fighting the crusaders, such as Nur ad din Zengi and Salah ad din and therefore they were employed to basically uh, mobilize the, the Muslim populace and the rulers to fight the Franks and to recapture Jerusalem. And we see this with great success, especially during Nur dins reign, where you have the famous Ibn Asakr family and their scholars that were employed within Nur uh, ad uh, administration. And they wrote Fadal Quds to basically motivate um, the troops, and they were read even before the troops um, went to war against the Franks, even during Saladin's wars against the Franks. Now, in the later medieval period, which is in the Mamluk period, we're talking about 13th to 15th century, and that's after the end of the Crusading Wars and the, the, the expulsion of the Franks from Jerusalem and the Mediterranean coast there, you begin to see the significant proliferation of al Quds literature during the Mamluk period, which is a strong indication uh, about the return of an increased Islamic pilgrimage to the city sponsored by the mamluks and the mamluk religious scholars and therefore the increase in the number of fadal quds texts served not only as a sign of the increased sanctification of the city by the mamluks but also a sign of the increased islamic pilgrimage to the city in terms of the number of pilgrims visiting and the very authors themselves who wrote those fadal quds wrote their treatises while they were visiting Jerusalem and staying there and worshipping.
1: It's such a fascinating story, and uh, I must admit a lot of my ignorance about this particular uh, period in time, despite uh, I had a number of guests discussing medieval Jerusalem, Jerusalem during the Crusades, but there's always like uh, new and fascinating aspects that emerge out of that period of time. And in fact, I was curious about something because obviously you talk about uh, Islamic Jerusalem, particularly in the period after the Crusades. And you also talk about uh, the question of Christian pilgrims. And I remember reading a number of chronicles written by uh, Jewish travelers or pilgrims uh, around this period of time. Um, And I was wondering if, uh, you know, also their chronicles, their Jewish presence is mentioned um, in islamic but also christian chronicles of that period a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com
2: ready to pop the question
0: Well, the, some Jewish holy sites or holy sites that are uh, sacred to both Jews and Muslims are mentioned in the Fadal Quds such as the uh, the Mihrad Dawood or the the Oratory of, of David, which uh, there is a bit, a bit of a debate on where its location, but many Fadal Quds refer to it as it's the Tower of David at the Jaffa Gate, uh, which is in the citadel of the city. So We see there uh, Muslims sanctifying that holy site. And in fact, uh, when pilgrims enter the city, they're told to enter and visit Mihrab Dawood there first. There's also the the tomb of David, which is considered in the Mount of Zion and in the church of Mount of Zion, I think. And that is also mentioned in some of the chroniclers and and some of the al Quds literature. But... As much as Jewish uh, pilgrims have come to Jerusalem and visited during the medieval period, uh, the, the Muslim sources are, I wouldn't say silent, but they're not as detailed about those accounts as they are more about Muslims and Muslim holy sites uh, visiting the city and sanctifying those specific holy spots for Muslims. But there is this overlap between Jewish holy sites and Muslim holy sites. And uh, we see during the building of the Dome of the Rock by the Umayyad al Malik, you see some uh, uh, some Jews and Jewish families how uh, uh, they served as servants inside the Dome of the Rock to help clean it and cleanse it and do certain rituals. As well as some Christians as well who helped in the services of cleaning and maintaining uh, the, the Dome of the Rock. So we see this picture of some form of perhaps i would not want to use this word but some form of cosmopolitan character to jerusalem and its three uh, the three monotheistic faiths and their adherents sharing sacred spaces whether they're muslims jews or christians at certain holy spots and during certain periods in the city
1: what you don't want to use and i think rightly so the word cosmopolitan that's probably more modern terms. But I I was wondering about the demographic of Jerusalem at this point in time. Uh, I mean, it seems to me that obviously there's an Arab component, but uh, you also have a European presence, and and I'm pretty sure that there are people from different areas uh, of the Middle East that at some point either settle down or certainly come in and then leave uh, uh, Jerusalem. Can you gather any sort of idea about the demographic of jerusalem in this moment in time
0: sure well to understand the demographics of jerusalem is also partly to understand the the history of conversions uh, occurring in the islamic world during the medieval period so we have evidence from al-muqaddasi and his uh, geographical multi-volume treaties ahkam abdul taqasim here we see that he refers to Jerusalem during the ninth and 10th century as a city that doesn't have necessarily many Muslim scholars. And instead, uh, Christian scholars and Christian priests are actually uh, uh, quite present in the city. And he laments that his city, Al-Muqaddisi city, because he's from Jerusalem, does not have this thriving Islamic uh, ulama presence as the case is with uh, the Christians at the time, and he was aware of that. However, during the 11th century, uh, we have records from uh, Nasser Khosrow, the Persian pilgrim and traveler who visited Jerusalem in the 11th century, as well as the records from Ibn al-Arabi, the famous Andalusian uh, philosopher and theologian, and al-Tartushi as well, and their record shows that uh, Islamic scholarship in terms of the number of ulama, the presence of Muslims there, is quite flourishing at the time. And they do refer to a certain extent uh, about the Christian presence at uh, there. But in the 11th century, you, you see writings talking about uh, Muslims and their presence there and are and many scholars. So it's a reflection of uh, Muslims moving there, perhaps. Muslim pilgrims, obviously. Muslims residing there. Uh, but in terms of the record on the Christian presence or Christians from Europe moving there, they speak of European Christian pilgrims. And in fact, uh, one of the most famous accounts uh, in muqaddasi and other scholars, uh, they speak about uh, the miracle of holy fire that happens inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre during Easter. And they write how there's hundreds, uh, many, many Christians that come from across the world to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and to witness this event, the miracle of holy fire that occurs during Easter. And interestingly enough, in those accounts, the Muslim chroniclers also write that Muslims are present at this event, the miracle of holy fire, and they're inside the church, looking at and and participating in this Easter uh, uh, celebration. So in that sense, we have here a reflection of the demographics of Jerusalem at that time. It is only after Saladin's conquest that we see Muslims repopulating the city after almost 90 years of Christian rule there. And especially during the Mamluk period, we have, uh, I would argue, uh, an explosion of Muslim uh, demographics there. Although uh, scholars such as Sheikh uh, and Joseph Mary would basically say that we cannot really put a specific number, calculate a specific number from the sources that we have, but the sources do point to a significant increase in not only Islamic pilgrimage to the city, but also in Muslims moving to Jerusalem and settling there, especially during the Mamluk period. I love digressing
1: medieval history of Jerusalem, but I want to go back to the pilgrimage and I was wondering if you can give us a sample of the places, obviously you already mentioned the Holy Sepulchre, but maybe others that were visited by pilgrims, and also the meaning of these places for particularly Islamic
0: and some Muslim uh, pilgrims. For sure, in order for us to understand uh, the reason for and the places at which Muslims uh, worshipped in Jerusalem, we have to understand why is Jerusalem important in Islam? Well, first of all, Jerusalem is a holy city for the, for the two other monotheistic faiths, Judaism and Christianity. And Islam emerging in, in this uh, atmosphere of monotheism in Arabia was very much aware of uh, Jerusalem's sanctity and sacred role within those traditions. So Jerusalem served as the first qibla or direction of prayer by the Prophet Muhammad and his early uh, uh, Muslims, early Muslim community before he migrated to Medina and the Hijrah. And then he changed the qibla, uh, the direction of prayer, to Mecca. Second of all, uh, in the Islamic tradition, uh, Jerusalem is highly sanctified because uh, Prophet Muhammad performed the, what we refer to as the Al-Isra' wal-Mi'raj, which is this nocturnal journey in which uh, the Prophet was uh, translocated from Mecca to Jerusalem during uh, with the Archangel Gabriel, and where he visited Jerusalem on this night journey and worshiped there and prayed there with the other monotheistic prophets. And it is during that nocturnal journey, the Isra, uh, night, what we have is the ascension of Muhammad from Jerusalem to the heavens in which where he uh, met also other prophets and met God, the Lord, uh, and he was instructed on the basic uh, rituals and practices of Islam uh, such as the performance of the salah, the prayer, and how many times it should be performed every day. So that is; those are the major uh, reasons why uh, Jerusalem is sanctified in Islam. It is also mentioned in the Quran. This uh, Isra nightly journey, night journey was mentioned in the Quran, and the mufassirs the Muslim exegetes, were explained that this uh, verse seventeen one refers to. Uh, Prophet Muhammad's uh, Isra journey to Jerusalem and also the Quran refers to the sanctity of Jerusalem with the traditions on narratives on the ancient Israelites and their uh, moving into Palestine and settling in Jerusalem so it was referred to as al-ard al-muqaddasa Barakna hawlaha etc so that is the important aspect that we have to understand first why Jerusalem is very important for uh, Islam from there and from those points of importance and sanctity emerges the circuit of holy sites in jerusalem with the epicenter of islamic pilgrimage being the haram the haram haram sharif uh, the temple mount and the dome of the rock basically is the starting point the, there for any muslim visiting jerusalem and doing the pilgrimage the Ziyara there so Muslims would visit the Dome of the Rock, they would enter it, and the Fadal al-Quds pilgrimage guides, those texts specifically instruct Muslims how to enter the Haram and how to enter the Dome of the Rock, this uh, beautiful structure that adorns the, the Haram sharif and is really the symbol today of Jerusalem and in the medieval period. It is this golden dome that lies at the center. And when I teach my students, I always like to show them photos of the Dome of the Rock with uh, people standing right next to it. And you can see how large the structure. In fact, it is, it's, uh, people underestimate how large and monumental uh, this, this place is. The texts instruct uh, Muslims how to specifically enter the Dome of the Rock and from which gate to enter it. And then they would instruct them to visit the Sakhra, the the big rock or the holy of holies within the jewish tradition and to visit there to worship there but not to touch it for example their specific instructions what uh, quranic verses to read there and what uh, prostrations salats or rukas to be performed there by muslims then you would visit other uh, spots within the dome of the rock such as the uh, footprints of the prophet we have the uh, apparently the footprints of the prophet there that reflect uh, the visit of Prophet Muhammad to the, uh, the Haram. And then there's that interesting cave, the grotto cave underneath the the rock under the Sahara. And you can see um, there are stairs there and you can go underneath the rock and there's a grotto, quite beautiful actually, and you can pray there. But the holy sites are not just restricted to the dome of the rock. Uh, Muslims are instructed to visit other sites within the Aqsa mosque or Al-Jami' al-Aqsa, south of the Dome of the Rock, right to the south of it. And that's where we see today uh, in the tensions between Palestinians uh, and the Israeli authorities and and the settlers when they're visiting the uh, Temple Mount Al-Haram al-Sharif during the morning and you see the Muslim Palestinians basically um, there inside the Al-Aqsa Mosque, basically resisting uh any visits to that spot and protesting there so there are holy sites within this mosque and there are other holy sites on the haram as sharif as well such as other smaller domes like qubbat as silsilat the dome of the chain qubbat al nabi the, the dome of the prophet qubbat sulayman the dome of solomon but sulayman here referring to the umayyad caliph not uh, solomon the biblical king there are also other holy sites um, Outside the Haram uh, that Muslims visited, such as the walls of the city, they're considered uh, sanctified because they're connected with the apocalypse and the traditions on the end of days. Jerusalem also is sanctified in Islam because it has an important role in the traditions on the end of days and eschatology in Islam because it is the place where the souls will translocate during the day of judgment. In one Islamic tradition, it is the place where Mecca even will. Translocate, translocate and move to Jerusalem and meet with Jerusalem there. Um, the uh, the valley there between the eastern Haram Wall and the Mount of Olives is considered the Valley of of Jahannam or the Valley of of Hell. For example, we see uh, Jerusalem is also connected to sanctification traditions in Islam because of its role in the Apocalypse. And though this rule has its holy sites, such as the walls of Jerusalem, for example. And then you have interesting other holy sites that are natural uh, places, places of nature, such as the Spring of Siloam, Ain Silwan, to the south of the city that Muslims have to visit, in addition to the Christian sites that I've mentioned, such as the Mount of Olives, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Church of the Sepulchre of Mary, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Church of the Ascension there as well. And in Bethlehem and Nazareth, the two important uh, churches there. So that is basically an overview of the different holy sites, both Muslim and Christian, that Muslims visited and worshipped there uh, due to their sanctified uh, nature within the tradition. I have a
1: sort of a personal question. In the article, you talk about um, the transition to Ottoman rule of Jerusalem. And I was wondering if uh, pilgrimage changed in that period of time, particularly during this transition, and also if uh, locations uh, may have changed. I mean, what I mean is that it may be new places that pilgrims visited and maybe uh, older places that have been uh,
0: maybe abandoned or received less attention. Well, one thing we know in the Ottoman period is that Islamic pilgrimage, as an important uh, religious uh, historical religious phenomenon, continued and thrived during the Ottoman period. That's partly due to the Ottoman authorities or the Ottoman sultans' sponsorship of building projects uh, within the city after the Ottoman conquest. And the Ottoman conquest of Jerusalem and Palestine occurred in 1516 to 1517. Just to give give listeners a uh, uh, a historical context here. So in the beginning of the 16th century, we begin to see the end of Mamluk rule in the Islamic world and the emergence of the, Ot- of the, of the Ottoman rule and the expansion of the Ottoman Empire to Bilal al-Sham, greater Syria and Egypt, of course, including uh, uh, Jerusalem and Palestine. So we see, for example, the major building project by Sulayman, uh, the, the Khalifa, the Sultan, Suleiman the Magnificent, and he built the present walls of, that are around Jerusalem in addition to other uh, contributions on the haram and within the city. Now, in terms of what is new, uh, I would say the literary evidence uh, has changed and changed significantly. The Mamluk period uh, produced the largest number of pilgrimage uh, texts, those Fadal Quds, within Islamic history. In the Ottoman period, uh, ulama scholars continued to compose the Fadal Quds pilgrimage guides, but not to the actual uh, number that were composed in the Mamluk. period. But what came instead? Well, the Ottoman period uh, witnesses the emergence of a very rich travelogue literature on Jerusalem. Basically, Muslim travelers from Syria, from al-Maghrib as well, uh, would uh, travel to Jerusalem undergo pilgrimage ziyara there and they would write a full travel book about their experiences and their travels specifically to jerusalem and the holy land which is something that really uh, was lacking in a sense before the ottoman period we have travel literature travelogues written during the mamluk period and even in the early islamic period such as Nasr Khusro's travel Uh, muqaddisi although it's a geographical uh, encyclopedic work he does write about his travels and we have we have uh, other kind of travel literature uh, such as al-harawi which is really a manual about holy sites but he includes his travels there we have travels by ibn khaldun written in the mamluk period the famous ibn khaldun and ibn Battuta, of course but none of those texts were specifically about their travels to Jerusalem and the Holy Land. That occurred during the Ottoman period with the, fame, with the works of the very famous uh, uh, Damascene scholar and sheik uh, al-Nabulsi and al-Luqaymi and al-Bakri. So you have this uh, uh, reservoir of pilgrimage texts, but this time it's pilgrimage travelogue writings. And the authors speak about where they visited in Jerusalem, what they worshipped. Interestingly, in those travelogue works, the authors, such as Al-Nabulsi, in his work Al-Hadr al-Unsiyah, Fiyar-Rihla al-Qudsiyah, he specifically quotes the Fadal al-Quds when he visits every Islamic holy site. He would say, and this holy site is sanctified because based on this Fadal al-Quds work, written by this scholar, he says, its importance lies in the following and we have to do a, a couple of prostrations there and read a certain quranic chapter here etc cetera, etc cetera. so within this pool of travel literature we have an immense and deep reservoir of information on travel to to jerusalem during the ottoman period i have referred in my dissertation which i'm completing now on the islamic pilgrimage to Jerusalem during the Ottoman period specifically uh, in the works of al-Nabulsi and al-Luqaibi and more work has to be done on those uh, authors which i will be pursuing next uh, soon after i complete my dissertation which is at its final stages and that would be uh, will be my next project which is islamic pilgrimage to Jerusalem during the Ottoman period and to look at the holy sites there And to look at whether things changed or places, as you said, might have changed and locations might have moved, which is something that is common in medieval history. For example, I've referred to the uh, Mihrab Dawood or the the Oratory of Dawood, location changing during the medieval period, especially during the Mamluk period, being located now, there is a location for it on the haram, rather on the citadel of the city. So again, the Ottoman period needs more investigation, and I'm hopefully going to delve into that next uh, very soon, uh, and after I complete uh, the final steps of my dissertation.
1: Well, I well, wish we you good luck with all of uh, what you want to do in the project, and I'm be very curious to read in the future because, obviously, we know a lot, for instance, about uh, uh, the Nebi Musa festival, which also included a pilgrimage and all of the various groups that. Uh, were gathering in various parts of Palestine and then obviously made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But obviously Musa was not the only one, and there are others that perhaps in time have disappeared or lost importance, but they're certainly there for pilgrims. Well,
0: there's an interesting event, a yearly event that Nasser Khosrow wrote about in the 11th century, which is this practice of tarif in, in Jerusalem. Tarif coming from the word Arafah, which refers to Mount Arafah in Mecca. What I'm referring here is to this religious practice that occurred in in the medieval period in Jerusalem where every year during the Hajj season, Nasr al-Khusru writes about this and other chroniclers write about this. uh, Muslim pilgrims from across Syria and Palestine who are unable to afford to do the Hajj pilgrimage all the way to Mecca, they would instead uh, come to Jerusalem and celebrate the hajj season in Jerusalem by doing a ziyara pilgrimage to the city. And this practice was known as ta'arif, uh, coming from the word Arafah, Mount Arafah in, in Mecca, which has its important role during the hajj season on the day of the feast of sacrifice on Eid al-Adha. We know that uh, the hajjaj, the, the Muslim pilgrims during the hajj, would go to Mount arafat there then that's the climax of the Hajj. At the same time in Jerusalem during the medieval period we have Muslims from Syria and Palestine coming to visit Jerusalem during the Hajj season to perform some kind of ritual that parallels the Hajj and to, to see it as in lieu of the Hajj because they were unable to go there. A practice which was very common, but it was attacked and critiqued by Hanbali scholars, such as the famous Ibn Taymiyyah and his student Al-Qayyim, Ibn al jawziyah So here you see another kind of religious, not festival, I would say, but a religious uh, important phenomenon occurring in the medieval period on a yearly basis, which also helped increase Islamic pilgrimage to, to the city during these centuries.
1: I want to you know, comfort circle, as we reach the end of the interview, you mentioned at the very beginning that looking at medieval Jerusalem may also help understand uh, the current, shall we say, conflict uh, situation between Israel and Palestine. And I was wondering in which ways, in what ways, you think medieval history can help us have a better understanding of the current
0: situation? Well, the legacy basically of medieval Jerusalem is that fundamentally the Muslim presence in the city is inescapable. And perhaps it constitutes the major part, I would argue, in the urban, architectural, religious, and demographic fabric of the old city today. And like I said, Oleg Grabar, uh, the famous uh, architectural historian, referred to medieval Jerusalem as basically an islamic city as in medieval jerusalem being dominated by the dome of the rock Al masjid al-aqsa and the islamic character to it and scholars today argue that the old city today as it stands with without including any of the modern israeli developments and buildings is actually the islamic mamluk city as it stood centuries ago because again the haram uh, dominates the city the dome of the rock dominates the urban architecture and religious character of the city today, the old city, but also all the Mamluk construction of of madrasas and lodges and institutions. All this architectural uh, uh, contributions are still present today in the old city. So this is the legacy of medieval Jerusalem, which is, it also comes with the fact that in the medieval centuries, Because Muslims dominated the city, that naturally gave rise to political crises or sectarian strife between Christians and Muslims that climaxed, obviously, with the Crusades, with the First Crusade. Which, if we look at scholarship about the Crusades, uh, and that began by uh, Professor Barker at the beginning of the 20th century, and he defined what is pilgrimage, but what is the Crusade, but pilgrimage under arms. So the instability in Jerusalem during the medieval period and the fear of European Christians having no access to Jerusalem, which is the holy city in Christianity, led to the rise of the crusades to take over the city and the region and to protect Christian holy sites. So Muslim domination and rule over the city in the medieval period naturally brought forth tensions uh, vis-a-vis other monotheistic uh, uh, religions, which is the same legacy we have today by uh, what we see with the Israeli right-wing efforts to basically dominate the old city and to change perhaps the religious or the demographic fabric and character of the city is leading to religious tensions between Muslims and Palestinian Christians as well vis-a-vis uh, the uh, the right wing Israelis and their efforts to basically uh, change the the religious character and demographic character of the old city, and we see that today with uh, basically the settlers coming to visit the Haram al Haram Sharif, and the Temple Mount on a weekly basis, causing this very very tense uh, situation between Palestinians and uh, Israelis. So that would be the legacy of medieval Jerusalem, both positive and uh, perhaps one can say uh, negative. This was Fadi Ragheb,
1: the Dakak Award winner for 2023 of the Jerusalem Quarterly with the article Sharing the Holy Land, Islamic Pilgrimage to Christian Holy Sites in Jerusalem during the late medieval and early modern periods. Fadi, thank you so much. Thank you, Roberto. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Jerusalem Unplugged. Thanks, and I'll see you next time.
2: Planning for your next trip?